0: Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at ConroeUPC.org. It must have been a difficult time when that man that had been overwhelmed with his financial pressures looked for a way out, and did not know how to escape the pressures of life. There must have been a difficult pressure upon that family that had become slaves because of their inabilities to pay their bills. And they became indentured servants or Slaves to their debt, and they wound up losing their freedom. And then one day they heard a horn sound, and not knowing what it meant, there was jubilation in the streets. I can see a picture of that prisoner sitting on his bunk underneath a window with bars marking off one day at a time. Until the end of his sentence. Not knowing if he would even make the end of that sentence. And then he would hear the same ram's horn sound. Because we find in each of these instances. Something that was happening to each of their circumstances. Running in a parallel fashion. In Leviticus chapter 25 and verse number 8, we will read. But for the man that was in debt and also the man that had lost his possessions, the man had become a slave and he lived at the mercies of other people and the prisoner who had lost his freedom, they would be greatly affected by what would happen in Leviticus chapter 25, In the eighth verse, For thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. And the place of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee for forty-nine years. Seven sets of seven would be forty-nine years. And thou shalt cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. The day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all of your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you and you shall return every man unto his possessions, and every man unto his family. And this morning when I I have that picture of that prisoner putting marks on the wall, I have to ask myself and I present my thoughts to you based on a question that I would ask myself, or that prisoner might even ask himself, and that is, when will this Sentence end. When will, when will my time in prison end? I read to you the establishment of what would be known as the Jubilee or the year of Jubilee. The custom was by commandment of the Lord that those that were in agriculture, they would farm their land for six years. And every seventh year, they would let the land rest and the theory being from God that in those six years, there would be enough of abundance that only a seventh year the land could rest, it would be rejuvenated, and then they would go back to farming for another time of six years. There would be a series of, of seven years and seven sevens of these seven years, which would equal 49 years that they would harvest for six years. And then they would let the land rest. And then they would harvest for another six years and let the land rest. And this, this would be something that would be incredibly important to the people. And that 50th year, that first year following the series of seven sevens, would be known as the year of Jubilee. It is commonly thought, it is commonly taught, that that day in Luke chapter 4, when the Lord stepped into the temple that day and began to read from the scrolls, when he read these words, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Commonly thought, though we don't know exactly the day that he read this, but it's commonly thought that this was a clarion sound of a ram's horn that would echo that day when the Lord would declare, My purpose is for this. And that is that I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And I've come to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. And I want to set free those who have not been set free. And that common thought is that this reading marked yet another completion of seven sevens, and this would be the fiftieth year, and jubilee would begin with the start of the ministry of jesus christ what 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 this jubilee included were just four or five things I think that you find incredible if a person or a man had been in a financial difficult time and he had to sell property or possessions to feed his family or to avoid poverty. In that year of Jubilee, if he had not been able to go back and and get those, buy those things back, uh, the, the 50th year during the Jubilee, those possessions that he had sold to survive would be restored to him. His land was considered an inheritance and you couldn't sell the land. But in the event that you had to borrow against the land or, or sell, basically sell the land for a season, and someone else have control of it. In that jubilee year, in that 50th year, at the completion of seven sevens, there was that moment where the land would go back to the one who had inherited it. Um, there was this also included, was if you had acquired debt, that you had borrowed money and had been unable to pay it back during that series of seven sevens, that the debts would be forgiven as well. There was also those times when that um, maybe you had borrowed money or you couldn't pay the money back and, and then they leaned upon you and, and, and there would be, a, you would lose your freedom and become a, a, a slave because of your debt, basically a debtor's slave. And when this happened on that year of Jubilee, that 50th year, that completion of those seven cycles of seven years, the slaves would all be released. To go back to where that they belonged, and then were you in prison at this point? The prisoners would also be released at the close and the opening of the jubilee. The prisoner would be released, and so he's sitting on his bunk underneath that bar. He was marking those days off. When he gets to a certain point, he's marked off. I don't necessarily think he, with his life sentence, he was marking the days until he died. But you can't tell me that there wasn't a a man that was in prison that didn't somehow get the calendar of his day and figure out uh, I might be sentenced for the rest of my life. But I can figure out those series of seven sevens and I understand that I'm in the 35th year of those 49 years involved, I've got 14 years, and he starts marking off 12 years, 8 years, until he finally gets to that day that he knows that that ram's horn is going to sound and is going to signify the release of every prisoner. The the release of every slave, the release of every possession that had been taken because of debt, all of these things would be returned. We live in a day that has no jubilee. It seems now that once in poverty, one often is thought of being impoverished only even after climbing out of, of that place of poverty. We live in a day when the past is held against us by Society you can have uh, you can have something in your past and it be held against you and it's never forgotten as a matter of fact um, if you have parts of your past and 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 you decide that you want to go get a job uh, the background check is going to remember your past the past uh, might have been five or ten or twenty years ago but the society remembers the past uh, against us uh, as a matter of Fact: If if you want to make a purchase and you've got to you've got to borrow money to do that, you might have had a season in life when you struggled financially and and your credit score fell from eight hundred down to down to below zero somewhere and and, uh, and some of you laughing and responding because you've been there before and, and that they, they, you, you just want to buy just something that's not expensive and not extravagant but you want to meet a need of, of your life and for your family and when you, you, you want to just make this purchase uh, suddenly they tell you we can't do that because your past uh, has caught up with you it's been five years or ten years it's been back there a ways but it doesn't matter. In the day that we live in, you cannot escape the past. Some of you might should take note of this because in your today's. Some of you have posted some really crazy stuff uh, on your social media thinking, I'm just young and it it doesn't matter. But if you're looking for a job next week, trust me, they're going to pull your social media page and they see you acting the fool today. Tomorrow is going to be affected tremendously by how that you're acting today by society because they're going to look back and see you uh, at some crazy party, you know, uh, dressed in something weird or undressed or or acting crazy or making a fool out of yourself and, and you'll say oh that was five years ago that was when I was a teenager the, the society doesn't forget it that easy and they they remember yesterday they, they, they have a way of remembering it. and yet that point you're wishing oh I wish I could have a jubilee where my past would disappear where my credit score would disappear and it shoot right back up uh, where it used to be, where my, my, I could be remembered for who I was before I made a fool of myself uh, on my social media page. And, and so, we all of us at points are wishing that we maybe we would have our Jubilee. Uh, but I want you to look with me in the scripture this morning because Jesus um, spoke. To this end, in the parable of an ungrateful servant, because there was a, a king who had a servant who owed him basically ten thousand dollars. The king brought the man to him and said, "Today, uh, I'm going to grant forgiveness to you, and so uh, I'm going to forgive the ten thousand dollar debt that you have me." That man left the king's presence rejoicing, went out. And found another man who owed him simply a hundred dollars. And the man began to rail on the man that owed him the hundred dollars. And he cast him in to the debtor's prison because he couldn't pay the hundred dollars. Until the king got wind of this. And the king then brought the man of whom he'd forgiven the $10,000 debt. And he said, could not uh, you remember that I had forgiven you for $10,000, but you took a man that owed you a hundred and you put him into debtor's prison because of this uh, do you do you realize uh, the same mercy that I had extended you you might should have extended to someone else Uh, and that ungrateful servant found himself uh, back in prison himself Uh, society doesn't forgive us uh, as easy as we wish um, that that it would um, many have been forgiven yet they still live under the sentence um, of their sin um, there are people who have uh, who have have done something yesterday and it's remembered of them even today uh, there's people here that that have something in your past uh, maybe 10 20 30 Forty years ago, uh, you acted in a certain way. And there's people who still remember you from that point, uh, And they don't look at who you are now. And they don't look at what God has done in your life. But they remember who you were back before the blood. They remember you before the miraculous. Uh, they remember you before the mercies came your way uh, now God doesn 't do it that way God pours his blood in your life and he forgives uh, he forgets uh, it 's gone uh, and you 're a new creature in Christ uh, and that 's something that we can rejoice about uh, because when we when we are when we are dealing with life uh, there may be friends and family and acquaintances who can 't forget our yesterday's but oh thank God the master himself can forgive and he can forget. But I caution you this morning, those of you that have been around the church uh, more than a day um, that the parable of the Pharisee and the publican is something that's very very real in my life and in our life in your life as well in Luke chapter eighteen we find the account. I will just read it to you. There were two men who went to the temple to pray. the one was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed, and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank." thank you that i am not like other men are i'm thankful that i'm not an extorturer. i'm thankful that i'm not unjust i'm thankful that i'm not an adulterer or immoral uh, but I, and i'm really thankful that i'm not like uh, this uh, that was on the other side of the church. Uh, Folks, that attitude and spirit uh, ought never make it uh, to the house of God. We ought never to stand and say, I'm glad uh, I'm not like the adulterer and the fornicator and the drug addict and the publican. I'm glad I'm not uh, like those people over there. He said and the, the publican began to to, to uh, the, the the Pharisee says, I know them I not like them, but I fast twice and I give all of my money and I pay my tithes but looked over to the other side of the room and, and there was a publican who sat on the other side of the room a tax collector, a man who was socially not acceptable by, by many, many people but the publican stood afar off he would not even lift up his eyes unto heaven, there was such a weight and a burden of shame upon him but he smote his breast and said be merciful to me O God I am a sinner and Jesus in the story, the parable goes on to say, which one, which one found the greater reward? Uh, may I say this today? Uh, we need to make sure that we never, as saints of God, as people, that we don't look at somebody and we remember a past that God can't remember about them. Uh, we need to be careful with our self-righteousness. We need to be careful with our prides. We need to be careful when we pray, so, oh, I'm glad I'm not like a Daniel DeLong, and I'm glad... I'm not like Jim Hobbs and I'm sure glad I'm not like Taylor Martin because uh, I I, I am different and I'm better than him when the whole time somebody that you may feel that you may be a bit better than they're just sitting there they're so covered with their shame and they're so covered with their guilt they won't even lift up their head in the house of God and they're just saying God have mercy on me I pose the question when does the sentence end for people who have made mistakes in their life. When does the sentence end? When do they get out of that prison? When do they get out of that jail? When do they get out of that jail? Not the one that God put them in, but the one that man put them in. That man that was there, that was there on on the hills of Gadara, he would cut himself and cry out at night. Men would put chains on him, try to lock him up, and it wasn't working. He came and fell down at the feet of Jesus, and before the story was over with, he was clothed and in his right mind. I asked the question, when did he get out of that prison? When did he break loose? Did he break loose out of there when he ran around crying or when he ran and fell at the feet of Jesus? And at that point, regardless of what society says, the blood has covered his life. The mercy has come his way. I've come this morning to share a couple of interesting observations with you. At some point, every sentence ends. It is... In society, we, we have this idea that we say that I, I did the crime, so I serve the time. And the theory is this, that once you've done the crime and you serve the time, that now I'm a free man and I paid my debt to society. And the man walks, a woman walks out of prison at that point, And after serving their time, the sentence is over. And the debt, To society has been paid, but too many times society wants more than the debt. To be paid, You see, the consequence of sin will remain in our lives long after we have paid our debts. Long after, long after the drug addict has done his thing. And he's served his time and he's gotten out. He's going to deal with the aftershocks of, of, of what he did in this life. But his, his record and his time, his debt has been paid. Aren't you glad, though, that Jesus paid it all? at Calvary for you aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ covers every sin aren't you glad that you can find yourself covered with the blood covering of the master. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14 he said unto me these are they that came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb aren't you thankful that you've been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. First John 1 and 17 says this, as we walk in the light as He is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from every sin, cleanses us from all of our sins. It's the blood that washes. It's the blood that covers us. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and do all of the flock uh, over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, the Lord, has purchased with his own blood. Friend of mine, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, understand something. The blood covers every failure. The blood covers every sin. The blood covers every iniquity. There's not a sin the blood can't cover. There's not a failure the blood can't cover. There's not a shame. The blood can't cover. There's nothing, there's nothing but the blood cannot cover. Oh, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Amen. 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 But a practical observation I want to share with you, and I shared this thought with a friend, yesterday. As a family, when we lost our Anna Lee five and a half years ago, we were so blessed and loved by so many who came and loved and shared. And throughout our grieving process, uh, though our grief was real, we were not alone because you and so many others were kind and were loving to us however our, our grief our grief was a progressive thing our grief Our grief was something that we would we would begin to heal from and, and move forward from. And in those moments when we were, when it was so raw, we, we didn't see how that, that, that we could progress uh, from the pain that we felt in that moment. And those of you who've lost loved ones, uh, you, you look at yourself and you feel that loss and that pain and you ask, uh, and you just kind of want to stay there for a season. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to move forward. We find somehow that, uh, that, that it helps us for some reason we feel like to stay there. But our grief during that time was was progressive, and it began moving along. And, and then we would, we would come in contact with someone that we'd not seen, say, in six months or a year. And maybe someone we hadn't seen since they'd come and loved us during the time of that funeral. And when we would, we would see them, those people that we hadn't seen in that period of time, they would come to us and offer love and care. But they were offering love and care at the point that they remembered us. Uh, the last time they saw us, we were at a cemetery. The last time they had been around us, uh, we, were, we were at a funeral. We were in the midst of grief. And they didn't understand that we'd moved 12 months forward in that grief. And, and though we were grieving, and we still grieve, but, but people would see us. And, and they, would, they would try to take us back in our grief um, all the way back to the cemetery, all the way back uh, to the point of, of the loss. And, and we, we'd grown past that. And, and, and what would happen was, was they, they they would try to make us go back and, and refill those feelings. And, and they, they weren't malicious in it. They, they were well-meaning and they were caring. But, but they wanted to come and love us. And at that point, they'd hug us and, and, and take us all the way back to the funeral, all the way back to the hospital and the pain that we felt there but we had moved beyond that and we'd been sitting at the cemetery for days and weeks and months and we were dealing better with the pain dealing better with the loss because that point in our life it was progressive and we had we had moved forward such is what happens when somebody is saved and forgiven by the blood of jesus when you've been washed in the blood you're not where you used to be you're not what you used to be. It's different. But when you come in contact with somebody who may not realize that I've been washed in the blood and I've been forgiven, they don't understand. They don't have that concept of your progression in life. They want to take you back to the place you were the last time they saw you or with you. So if you parted with them 10 years ago, they want to take you back and remember the party. And if you spent time with them in bad circumstances, they remember you back then. They don't know what's gone on during this season of time when I've grown beyond that and I found the blood covering from the master and so what happens is they want to take you back there but I suggest to never allow never allow anybody to take you back uh, to the failure that you did a long time ago. Uh, Don't let anybody remember or remind you of where that you were before there was a blood covering. Uh, Don't let anybody take you back to that place and tell you what it was I say don't let anybody put you back in the slave quarters of your yesterday don't let anybody carry you back to the debtor's prison of the past don't let anybody take you back and remind you of the failures of last week when all reality those failures have had a blood covering those failures are under the blood those failures have been dealt with on a supernatural thing And as a man, who am I to remember that against you? Who am I to remember that against somebody who's paid their debt? And Jesus paid it all. This is kind of what happens in John chapter 9. I won't read, but I'll just remind you of the story of the man that was born blind and of course, this is the story where the Lord healed him, and he washed his eyes, and and and, and he was he, he was he was able to see. And and but here are some questions that that happened, and some emotions that rose up. Uh, I feel compelled this morning with this subject. Uh, they they begin to ask uh, who sinned and why is this guy blind? Somebody had to mess up for this guy to be in this shape. Uh, and here he was. There's been a miracle take place in his life, and they're wanting to know why he was what he used to. When he's not even there anymore why did his mama sin did his daddy sin why what happened this was the guy that was blind and had begged and they wanted to keep him in the prison of darkness and the prison of poverty they didn't want to they didn't want to acknowledge the fact that a miracle had taken place in his life and they were upset and they were angry that the man could see they were angry that the man was no longer going to have to be poverty stricken and no longer be a beggar they couldn't accept the the fact that he was not blind anymore the man that was born blind was no longer blind and he simply said all i know is this he says there was a man named jesus came by that was the answer was a man named jesus and there was some folks who weren't happy with the fact that jesus had come by and touched him and there will always be that crowd that is upset and don't allow the mercies of god they'll want to keep somebody in the prison of their yesterday even though they understand that the blood of Jesus uh, forgives every sin. This man, uh, his neighbors were angry and the Pharisees were angry that mercy and miracle had come his way. This man finally replied, all that I know is this, I once was blind. But now, I see. There comes some point where that we can, as individuals cannot allow ourselves to be identified of, by who or what we were before we came in contact with the mercies of Jesus Christ. Amen. That sentence has to be over with. That sentence has to be over with. Another observation I want to make is this. The Alcoholics Anonymous and the Narcotics Anonymous, when you go there, these are agencies and these are people who are trying to do a good work and a noble work. As a matter of fact, what AA and NA do is incredibly selfless in what they What they do because they're endeavoring in their limited secular abilities to deal with a spiritual problem that only God can fix. And so they, they bring people together and they, they, they try to bring the wisdom of man. And they try to bring the wisdom of, of what can happen and support. They try to bring all these secular concepts together and try to help somebody to break the shackles uh, of, of, of something that has them bound, a, a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction. And so when they get together, they're trying to deal with these spirit problems of a man or a woman dealing with them. With a secular sense. And so it goes something like this. Hello. My name is, is Kent. And I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I've been dry now two years, two months, two days, two hours, and two minutes. And so there's a little nodding of heads and a little slight claps when they're of appreciation and congratulations. So there is no acknowledgement or cognizance in any way that that I am not an alcoholic because I tell them I'm Kent I'm an alcoholic I'm a recovering alcoholic and I've been dry for this long it's simply the fact that I am an alcoholic and I will always be an alcoholic I may have been dry 10 years 20 years 30 years but from a worldly from a worldview worldview I'm a recovering alcoholic. And you may you may get something to carry out in your pocket to, to remind you of how long it's been just so you won't slip up when temptation comes. But the whole concept is this. You'll never break the chains of your past. You'll never break the grip of yesterday. That reputation of who you were and what you were will never leave you. And when you come to that group in your 20th year, you're still going to say, I'm Kent. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been dry for 20 years. But the way it happens in the presence of God is people come and they say these words. Hello, my name is Kent. I once was an alcoholic, but I got the Holy Ghost and I repented of my sins. I was covered by the blood. It's like that blind man that said, I once was blind, but now I see. I'm not a blind man that's trying to recover from my blindness, but there was a mark of demarcation. My sentence of darkness ended. My sentence of my, of my, of my, of my handicap ended at that moment that a man named Jesus came by, and I once was blind, but now, now, now I see. And that man that was a prisoner in that debtor's prison way, way back was waiting on his moment of jubilee to come. And when that ram's horse sounded and that man could walk out of that prison free, he walked out of there. He could say, I once was in a debtor's prison, but jubilee came my way and I'm no longer in that prison. The man, the man that was in debt, say I once was in debt and could not pay my bills, but there was something happening happened and a jubilee came my way and I'm set free from that and I'm no longer a debtor. My sentence has been removed and I'm changed and I'm different. The important point of this is this, the consequence of sin may stay with us for a long time, but the weight and the guilt and the shame of it stops when the blood covers it. Amen. I mean, the consequence, (laughs) the consequence may last a long time, but the shame stopped with the blood. No matter what the Pharisee says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like him and I'm glad I'm not like him. It doesn't matter what those people said. What matters was, was the blood covered it and it stopped. The guilt of that. And now I've got a brand new life and a brand new future and a brand new promise. And so the sentence ends when the blood covers it. His name was Jason Bowman. He tells me that it all started out. It all started out when his friend dared him. To steal the package of cigarettes from the Kroger store over here at 336 and 45, where you ladies now know as Hobby Lobby. His friend dared him to go in, they went in together, and Jason got the cigarettes and got out of the building. Long story short, was he was in the car waiting when his friend that he stole them for brought the store manager and turned him in. Which turned into a fistfight, which turned a minor infraction into an aggravated situation turned into literally simply a lifted pair, a shoplifted package of cigarettes turned into 10 years of probation. And that was on the young man. And, of course, at 17 years of age, he couldn't make those payments. He got mad about it all, so he shows up to the first probation thing. He fails the test. He's got drugs in his bloodstream. And so 10 years of probation turns into full 10 years of apprentice prison sentence. And so from 18 until he was 30 years of age, this guy named Jason Ballman spent in the system and in the prisons. He got out only one thing he could do was was go back. And uh, he had to go back a little bit. So there's twelve years of his life just disappeared. Just disappeared because of this. And he get out. He's known as a guy who was wild and crazy and did drugs and would fight anybody and just uh, well y'all kinda know him and he's still kind of wild and crazy. But I asked him this morning, could I talk about this? Because he got out of jail and walking down the street. And somebody pulled over and picked him up and brought him down here. And we baptized him. He got the Holy Ghost. His wife got the Holy Ghost and was baptized the next day. And his life has been different. So I said, Jason. He said, I'm not going back to all that. That's all over with. I said, okay. I said, but does it still chase you around? I said, oh, yeah. He said, if I want to get a job, it's on my record. They find it. My friends, they still think I'm doing drugs. I hadn't done that stuff in a long time. But society won't forgive it, and I'm stuck with it. And so I ask the question, when does the sentence end? To make it pretty simple and trite, that sentence ought to end at the doors of the house of God. I've come this morning to simply blow the ram's horn and say, the sentence is about over with. The sentence is about over with in and outside of the church. Imagine with me when that passage from Lamentations echoes. People quote it all the time. I have preached from it so many times. But in Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23, If it wasn't for the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions they fail not. But they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. New mercies every day. New mercies every day. So if mercies are new every morning. I think I'm in the book. If mercies are new every morning. Then on day one. There's a single mercy. That forgives all of that. On day two, a brand new mercy. And now you got two mercies covering yesterday. Just imagine in one week, on day seven, you now have seven mercies on yesterday's mess. Just make the journey of one year with new mercies in your life 365. Mercies. I know people who, who have baggage that they drag their past around with them. I suggest opening that suitcase of yesterday's baggage and dump it out. And put that one year's collections of new mercies in there. And carry mercies instead of yesterday's mess with you. Just three years. Think about this. Three years surpasses and goes beyond the thousand mercy mark. Imagine with me a thousand mercies. Think about it. A thousand mercies. In the case of Brother Jason over here, I just revered him 10 years in prison. He gets out of there. At the end of those 10 years, 3,650 mercies. Now we're beyond the simple suitcase you've been dragging around. You need to go down to JCPenney and buy one of those sets that they just, a big suitcase and a smaller one, and they all fit in each other. They're real cheap because it's trash, okay? But but, uh, you just travel one time, they fall apart. But I got a feeling the mercies will hold them together. And then you can just kind of, they have straps. You can kind of hook them together. And you come showing up into life. And you got the big suitcase and the middle of the suitcase. You got the 28 and the 26 and the 24 and, and the little, and the little uh, you know, the one you can carry on the airplane and the one that you stick little stuff in and stick inside. You got six or seven of those things. Uh, they all hook together and you come and walk. What are you bringing all that ba- I'm not bringing my baggage in here. This is mercies in my life. And I'm showed up with 10,000 mercies. 10,000 mercies in just a short time. But I was eight years old in 1969 when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Kneeling there in the altar, Pasadena. Seven-day revival. Been going on for months. I got the Holy Ghost. And um, my mama gave me this Bible that next week. And it, over the course of my life, this has been very close to me, then it disappears. But I came across it a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And uh, this Bible now is really close to 50 years old. It wasn't real high quality at that point, so the abuse that it's, been, that it's been given, and not from reading it necessarily. I mean, just from, you know, I hope to have this thing recovered one day before long and maybe... One of my great grandkids will think, wow. But this thing represents the day that I got the Holy Ghost, which was, which was nearly 50 years ago. 49 years ago, I got the Holy Ghost. And I don't know exactly how to do the math real quick with that, but somewhere in excess of 17,000 days I have lived since that day I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if mercies are new every day, when I get here, I need a U haul. Because <laughs> I got 17,000 mercies in my life. And so I asked the question when does the sentence end in our lives? And I'm going to answer it for you now. It's the day. Mercy takes over. It's the day mercy takes over. I want you to stand with me.